Coming up this hour, we're going to start with a sermon called The Flames of Pentecost, A World on Fire and the Hope of the Kingdom. Plus, we'll be joined by Derek Puckett. That's coming up next here on The Common Good. everyone, welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Web. I'm not going to get into it right now, because <laughs> I actually want to spend the entire segment doing something a little different for us. And yep. in fact, this whole show today in particular is probably going to feel a little different, but I've just spent a ton of time this weekend grieving and praying and lamenting and, and listening, honestly, trying to do a lot. Yeah. A lot better job at listening. And there's a, a pastor named Esau McCauley, who we've referenced a number of times on the show before. He gave a sermon yesterday that was just unbelievable. So, Brian, if it's okay, I'd like to just read it. And that'll probably take up most of our time here for this first segment. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited to hear it. It's called The Flames of Pentecost, A World on Fire, and the Hope of the Kingdom. So today we're supposed to talk about the miraculous birth of the church and the flames of Pentecost when tongues of fire descended upon those gathered and the gospel was heard in various languages around the world. Pentecost is the miracle that follows on from the miracle that occurs in the aftermath of a wonder. Jesus, Israel's king and Messiah, was crucified and raised from the dead. He then ascended into heaven so that, in the words of St. Paul, God might fulfill his promise to put all things under the feet of our king. Paul also says God made Christ the head over all things for the church. Christ rules over all things for our good. In a world that is burning, this is indeed gospel. The first Pentecost is the miracle that follows the miracle uh, that follows the miracle that occurs in the aftermath of the wonder. This Pentecost finds the American church in a much different place. It feels like this Pentecost occurs in the aftermath of a woe following a trauma in the context of a tragedy. We gather virtually to talk about the flames of Pentecost while Minneapolis and so other cities burn. The protests and riots in Minneapolis follow the death of George Floyd, who was choked to death while handcuffed and pleading for his life. For nine minutes, a police officer kept his knee on a man's neck while he called for his mother. This occurs in the wake of the killings of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. All this takes place within the wider context of a country in which 100,000 people have died from a deadly virus and the church is physically scattered. It feels more like we are in the middle of an extended Lent rather than the end of Eastertide. Some will hear me talk of these events and assume I am bringing, quote, politics into the church. They will wonder why I'm not upset about black-on-black crime or the black family or abortion or looting or whatever topic that avoids looking at the thing itself. The thing itself is the 400-year history of racial trauma and oppression that stalks black lives in this country. Some might wonder what riots and a black man dying at the hand of the police have to do with Pentecost and the actual passage in Acts 2, 1 through 21. Don't we understand, brothers and sisters? This is the question. Does the gospel, the death and resurrection of the Messiah for our sins have anything to do with how we approach the flames of Minneapolis? Does the church have something to say or will we be disciplined by Fox News on one hand and NBC on the other. Cities are burning and a country is divided. What do the words of the gospel mean in this context? There's no other world to talk about Jesus than a world in which black men have their necks stepped on for nine minutes. The only way to answer that question is to look at the thing itself, the words of scripture. I want to make three points from our reading today. One, the gospel brings us together. Two, the spirit moves us toward people very different from ourselves. And three, our hope is in the gospel of the kingdom. Acts 2 opens with 
the followers of Jesus gathered in one place. It is amazing to think that at one point in history, all the Christians in the world could fit into one room. Despite what the history books will tell you, Christianity is not some state-sponsored religion of terror created by Constantine to keep the populace in check. It began humbly with a ragtag group of about 120 mostly regular folks who had encountered the living God. Among them were women like Mary, who came from rural peasant stock, and people like Matthew, the former tax collector. The two of them could not be more different. Matthew collaborated with the oppressors of Israel and extorted money from the people to line his pockets. Folks like Mary were the victims of such atrocities. What kind of church has room for both the oppressed and the former oppressors? What united them? What unites us as a church now? What united them was their shared convictions about Jesus. They were together, and that is what the gospel does. It unites us around the lordship of Christ. What would this unity look like today for the family of George Floyd? What would it mean for us to be together with them? What would it mean to be with the black community in the United States who have experienced kidnapping, middle passage, slavery, Jim Crow, and the litany of suffering that marks our life here? Would it not mean as an act of love to say it should not have to be this way? And I'll spend my life beside yours to testify to the value the Christian tradition places on your black life. The same spirit falls upon all in the room. There is not one Holy Spirit enabling women to declare the word of God and another for men. There is not one spirit that gives words to the rich and another for the poor. There is not one Holy Spirit that enables us to speak to African peoples and others and another that allows us to speak to Asians or Europeans. The one spirit Send the gospel to varied people groups of the earth. The same spirit is able to minister to all people because it reaches our common humanity. The Holy Spirit didn't have to work extra hard to convince African peoples of the gospel because there is some flaw in us that makes us hard to reach. The singularity of the gospel was to work through the spirit arising from our common status as image bearers speaks to our common humanity. We are all fallen and in need of God's grace. Any ideology that functionally or verbally denies that common status is a heresy. Anyone who denies that, that the heresy of racism infects this country and many Christians in it does so in the face of facts that would make the soldiers at the empty tomb seem like reliable witnesses. The gospel drew them outside their own culture to speak and eventually to do life together with people very different from themselves. Everyone at Pentecost was Jewish, but that Judaism had been moved into the very languages and communities of the Roman Empire. The first thing that the gospel did was bring people together under the lordship of Christ. If the gospel draws us together to hear the mighty works of God, has it lost its power to do so among us? Why aren't we together anymore? And what would it mean for the watching world to see a Christianity that was together spiritually and practically? Black Christians can deal with the people who have no reason to support us. We can deal with secular racists. What is heartbreaking and exhausting is to find ourselves fighting for our very right to exist and find that the enemy we see is someone who is our brother. What What is that passage in the Psalter? It is not enemies who taunt me. I could bear that. But it is you, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend with whom I kept pleasant company. We walked in the house of God. Our life together, if we are to be together, can't be at the expense of my freedom. I shouldn't have to fight my brother to obtain it. The nations are being drawn together, and there are two responses. One, they are just drunk. Number two, what does this mean? One response refuses to acknowledge the facts of what is going on and draws upon their experiences to dismiss the work of God. It's just alcohol. And the second asks a deeper question. What is God up to in their midst? I will get back to Pentecost. Let me say this about the world that is on fire all around us. Some look at the black demands of justice and can only reach for some political explanation. They are just Democrats trying to ruin the church or they're really theological liberals beholden to Marxism. But maybe 
Maybe those are ways to avoid looking at the thing itself. What are black, Latino, and Asian brothers and sisters really saying? What does it mean? What is God up to? Peter dismisses the first question with a sentence or two, but addresses the questions of meaning more deeply. He tells them they are experiencing the spirit promised in Joel. Joel says that when God acted to redeem his people, it would be universal. Men and women, young and old, rich and poor, the universal gift of the spirit that manifested itself in the shared public ministry of the whole church. Women, men, rich, poor is a testimony to the universal saving power of the gospel. In other words, the form of Pentecost supports the theology of Pentecost, the gospel for everyone. I'm convinced that the hope for this country is not in any election or political party. Votes matter, but neither the Democratic Party nor the Republican Party is our savior. What we need is a spirit-filled Christianity big enough to draw the varied people groups together. We do have a message for a city and a world on fire. There is a God who loves you and died that you might know him. This love is sufficient to gather the divided peoples of the world when all the politicians and philosophers fall. There is a God of justice who sees and acts on behalf of the belagered people of the world, people like George Floyd. There is a king in a kingdom, and he has given us his spirit to make him known to the ends of the earth. And that was a sermon preached just this Sunday by Pastor Esau McCauley on Pentecost 2020. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And I had mentioned a good deal at the end of last week how Brian and I, in the midst of the news and things we were reading and experiencing and hearing, we kind of really wanted to be more intentional about assuming the posture of listeners, of learners. And uh, so today we have a number of special guests. And our first is Pastor Derek Puckett, pastor of Renewal Church in Chicago. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for having me today. It's great to be with you, Ian and Brian. Uh, looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, likewise. It's it's our pleasure. But before we dive in, would you just introduce yourself to our audience in whatever way you see fit? Yes. My name, like you said, is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor of Renewal Church of Chicago. We're a six-year-old church here in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, we're a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multicultural church preaches the gospel here in the city. Find more information about us at RenewalChicago.com. Good delight to be with you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Derek, as we've all been watching the news and, and seeing all that's going on, I guess I would just start by asking, what has this last week been for you? Uh, and for your church. Could you just tell us a little bit about that? This week has been, um, as I said before, we play, I pastor a multi-ethnic church. And so it's it's not a traditional black church, although I'm a, a black man originally from the area. Um, and this, when you see the actual incident of George Floyd being killed the way he was, or murdered the way he was, um, for myself as a black man, it resonates on deep levels that there's um, deep levels of trauma. If you want to say that um, myself, I have to weigh through and process on multiple different levels, uh, thinking about the history of African-Americans uh, with white here in America. I'm all the way back from slavery and it's just coming into America, the civil rights movement, the penal system, disproportionate rates of African-American or black and brown brothers and sisters in there. Um, and then up into 
the recent deaths that we've been able to see, not just George Floyd, but Breonna Taylor, um, Ahmaud Arbery. And so there's been a lot to process. And then on top of that, you have a pandemic, the COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Right. And 50 million Americans that are out of work, um, health crisis. And so you, you have all of these things coming together and creating this humongous storm, if you want to say, uh, and which creates this mass amount of, of unrest within our community, within our city. And for myself, it's been personally having to wade through that, not only as a pastor, but just as a black man, it's been serious and heavy. Um, and I've been telling people throughout the last week, I'm kind of tired and, uh, yeah. Not just not necessarily physically, but emotionally, mentally, um, having to walk uh, people through it to understand um, when I myself is processing that, just looking at um, this death, because that could have been me. And right. so when I see that, I, I see myself and uh, it takes me to a heavy space. Uh, but at the same time, leading a multiple level within our church, I also lead an organization called the Chicago Partnership, which planning churches, leading pastors in the city. And I'm also on the leadership council of the Ann campaign. So we've been really trying to organize and trying to figure out how do we see justice in the city, um, have to protest, but at the same time, making sure we do it in a way that's going to continue to speak and lift up God. uh, And not what we're seeing with the looting and riots. Uh, But when you get those, you get that that's the voice of the unheard, as uh, Dr. King said. And so there's, there's levels of this that we have to process. I think everyone has to. That's right. Know, and, and then stand up for those that um, have been treated as um, less than and, and the, the amount of injustice that's kind of been ran, run rapid in our country. So, mm. so I, I, I recognize that I'm, I'm the product of men and women who have been patient with me throughout my entire life, help, helping me better understand complex realities that I otherwise wouldn't know about. And I'm wondering, yeah. could you just take a couple of minutes to maybe speak to the person that, that yet doesn't understand this discussion as a theological one, as one that the church needs to be involved in. Cause I feel like I keep seeing a lot of that divide on my social media feeds. Like, well, we should just be preaching the gospel. Don't, don't, don't waste. Don't be, we shouldn't be worried talking about race and talking about justice. It's about it's about the gospel. It's about the resurrection. What would you say to the person that's still feeling like there's a big disconnect in their mind? That's a great question. And um, honestly, I don't think you can preach the gospel without actually talking about race and mm. justice. I mean, the the whole crucifixion in itself, when Jesus is on the cross, is a justice issue where he he's dying for people that are unlike him, sinners. Mm. Uh, while where at the same time he's sinless and he's he's taken to the cross and in in, in, in a way well it is for us to be seen as just and righteous in God's eyes and mm-hmm. so if he doesn't die if he doesn't do what he did on the cross rise from the grave then we're not just we're not seen as righteous uh, so he's dying for um, folks that are in their sin and then you have in his life he in John chapter four you see him crossing lines with a Samaritan woman where there's a 700-year-old hatred between the two. They do not like each other. She's a, a woman that has had five different husbands. She's an ostracized woman in society. So there's multiple different lines hmm. that Jesus not only crosses, but he stays with her all day, and he sits at a well, and he shares himself with her and um, has engages her. And because of that, 
she not only gets saved, but she goes and tells the town. Uh, let me tell you about a man who told me uh, everything there is to know about me. And then there's mm. a revival that breaks out, I think, for the next three days in the land. Mm. And so to not, to not actually preach and see uh, justice or injustice being approached by Jesus or um, him actually preaching against it or standing up for uh, the least likely would be preaching, uh, I would say, not even just the whole gospel, not uh, an incomplete gospel. It's almost a false gospel to not mm. preach about what he's actually doing. There's over 2,300 verses in the Bible where God speaks to his love for the widow, the orphan, and the poor. And so you 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 see God's heart towards the disenfranchised and the marginalized. And like I tell my people in my church, um, because I know this is a foreign conversation, especially for my white brothers and sisters that may not have been, that are not minorities in our country, is that start small. You know, what do your dinner tables look like? Who are you eating with on mm-hmm. a regular basis? That's an in, intimate space that we don't usually let people in that are not like us. And so what do your dinner tables look like? Are you eating with people that you normally eat with or are you inviting people in there that may not vote like you? They may not eat like you or look like you um, and engaging and doing life yeah. and, and listening to the stories um, and their hearts and where they are. Um, and, and being mindful that in those spaces, if you have good friends and they eat your dinner table, you step on each other's toes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and cross lined with one another and, and sometimes things are said that you may not like but you've let each other into that space where we're able to do that engage one another so I say don't be afraid to, to say the wrong things and to step on uh, but it, on toes but at the same time um, continually coming back over and over again and then at the same time I think the root word of vulnerability is bone air which means the wound and so sometimes mm-hmm. You, um, when you're walking in that space with people that have been wounded for so long, um, what you may get is wounded in return. Mm. And um, which means don't stop when that hard conversation comes up. Or if you're sitting at a table with me and I say something that may hurt you um, or you may not like, continue to engage and see that that's coming from a space that may have nothing to do with you. Right. but if you continue to engage, uh, we can cross lines. And just personally, some of my best friends are, are white guys. It's not <laughs> because they continually engage this young boy or me from Gary, Indiana, mm. uh, now a pastor uh, of a multi-ethnic church. And so, but it takes, it, it's taken years of engagement and love and crossing lines with one another. So don't give up. God. Keep doing it. Engage. Call out injustice when you see it. Man, there's so much, so much wisdom in that. You're listening to Pastor Derek Puckett of Renewal Church in Chicago, who's going to stick around with us for one more segment coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, or wherever it is you get podcasts. And we're so excited to have Pastor Derek Puckett joining us for a second segment today. He's the pastor of Renewal Church, involved in a whole lot of other wonderful things. And he was just talking about the significance, the importance of relationships in the midst of tragedies like these. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how significant that's been in your life, why you believe relationships are at the core 
of us really beginning to understand and heal from the kinds of things that we're seeing in the world right now. Could you just unpack that a little bit more? Definitely. I think, and thanks for having me again. The relationships are key. Um, you know, we always preach the phrase, have a relationship with Jesus. It's the same thing with relationships with one another. The cross, when Jesus dies on the cross, I like to think of the two beings. There's a vertical one and there's a horizontal being. We're vertically, we're reconciled to God, but then horizontally, we're reconciled to one another. Um, and Jesus exemplifies that on the cross where he, uh, horizontally now with the thief on the cross who's not like him. He tells him, you'll see me in paradise. You'll see me today. And, um, and, and that's something that I think we don't like that line. We don't like to cross with people that are different hmm. or they've done something that we deem is wrong. Um, but Jesus does that with not only us, but even on the cross itself, that right. whole act. And within relationships with people, um, said before, they're not only tough, but sometimes we get hurt. And then those spaces that were hurt, I think we grow the most. And in a time like now where we're all experiencing trauma, not only just from the pandemic, but what just happened, um, with the brutal murder of George Floyd and, and the things that we've now seen because of media catching them now, this isn't new, but now it's allowing you to come into the experience. I'd say the black experience in America, uh, that's been there for years. And so it's a space for us to enter in or our white brothers and sisters to enter in and listen, as in you guys are asking questions now to just listen and hear the pain, right. hear the trauma. But that's not only just from this incident, but for years of injustice and just, um, and even walking into your own, uh, knowing that you have to work twice as hard. Or that, that's something that I've been taught as a kid. Hmm. You know, you got to work twice as hard because you're a black young boy and, uh, and you're going to have to be twice as good as a pastor. All these things that you just think about because of the color of your skin. Hmm. And then you see, uh, things like this happen, which feel like, feels like it sets you back all the way. Um, and, and, and like, did we, am I actually worth it in people's eyes? Do people, do people actually acknowledge me or do they just want something from me? And mm. I think when you get, when you jump and you cross that line with somebody, you now, you're not only getting to hear them, but it takes you to a place where you have some empathy for them, mm. which I like to challenge people to go a little bit further and let that empathy turn into compassion to yeah. where now you seek the betterment of other people. That's right. To where you see George Floyd happen and now you don't just say, oh man, that's horrible. It, 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 it compels you to do something now to get back, to get on the front lines and right. not only stand on the front lines, but cross the line and, and see what can I do with my own hands? What can I do with my own platform? What can I do with my majority cultural stance? Like what, what can I do to help, uh, folks that are in need, minorities, my friends, my brothers now that I not only see, but I've crossed the line and I know, so I mm. feel with them. Wow. Yeah. And then, Derek, I know that, that you've planted a very intentional um, multi-ethnic church, as you said. Uh, and so I'm curious, uh, what's the intentionality it has taken for you as a church to be intentionally multi-ethnic? And where were some of the uh, the difficulties in that and uh, and obviously the good fruit as well? Yes, that's a great question. And you used the right word. I think a lot of times, sometimes we say we just need to preach the gospel and the people will come. That's not, that's 
not necessarily true because mm-hmm. people are living in a culture every day outside of Sunday with us or Wednesday night Bible study. And so whatever they're living in those other five days of the week, um, mo- most of their hours of the week is, is typically kind of dictating and controlling um, how they live their life, which dictates and controls kind of how they go to church. Mm. And so uh, for us, the intentionality was not only going to preach the gospel, but we're going to live this thing out. You know, so we need to live it out with our neighbors. So the same thing I said is like making sure our dinner tables are um, diverse. When we started our church, we started with once a month gatherings where we'd have 40 to 50 people in our house at a time. Mm. Uh, and it was very diverse. And most of the people that came said, I've never been in a space like this, this diverse, um, and know it, that it's actually Christian, um, led by a, a black guy at that. Mm. And so if you look at our website, our staff, this is a big one because, um, especially with minorities, um, First thing when we do when we walk into a church, we want to make sure that it's, uh, the leadership has some representation that's like me. And mm. so if I don't see in the leadership, and I'm not talking about nothing against youth, youth pastors, but I'm not talking about the youth pastor, but like leadership, whether the elders, the lead pastors, some type of way in the church um, is representing representative of me. If I don't see that and I'm in authentic in that representation, then I'm probably going to walk out and not come back. Right. So uh, we were very intentional in our leadership uh, to make sure that that's there, not only black folks, but white, um, as well as Latino in our church, to make sure we, we do that. Now, that's not lowering the standard to get people on staff to look different. There's a lot of prayer in that. There's a lot of relationship building. Um, and, and, and it's a lot of intentionality. Even from our worship, too, you're going to hear gospel, you're going to hear hymns, you're going to hear contemporary mm. Christian music. Mm. Um, and I like to say that you got to have this theology of discomfort for gospel good. So mm. if I walk in on a Sunday and it feels like it's the Sunday of Derek, the preaching, the worship, the feel, everything about it was Derek Sunday, then I missed it because mm. somebody else walked in and they're not exactly like me. Yeah. Now, I can't hit everybody um, with preference and what they like. So that's not it. Um, So that's where the discomfort comes in a little bit. Uh, And I don't think Jesus calls us to just be comfortable in our churches or in society. Um, That's just, that's not the gospel and that's not what he calls us to, but we definitely want to be intentional trying to figure out how we cross lines. That's right. And bring people into the tension where we can have a little heaven on earth. (laughs) <laughs> that's so good alright so with about the minute or so that we have left I want to try and I want to try and sneak in two questions one how can people get involved someone listening they're thinking okay now I need to step up how can people get involved and lastly how can we be praying for you and your family and your church great um, there's many ways to get involved there's a lot of looting and things that happen on the streets right now uh, so a lot of stores have been destroyed in Chicago um, that's an easy way to get in and get involved with cleanup efforts here in uh, the city. There's also different protests that are peaceful protests that you can jump in. There's one tomorrow that our church, as well as um, several churches, will be doing tomorrow in Bronzeville from 26th Street to 51st Street at 6 p.m. tomorrow. So you can get involved with that. Um, but also start calling out injustice. If mm-hmm. there's you have platforms and you can speak to the different things that you see, use your platform to advance those that have been 
uh, belief like that's what Jesus did for us. Yeah, that's right. How, how can we be praying for you guys? Uh, pray real quick. Um, just, I think right now this space, and I think every pastor feels this, is this uh, need to be present mm. uh, in this space. And when I mean present, it's not just on the front lines, but present with your people. Mm. Um, you can't see them right now um, like you would like to. And then they're, we're all struggling. So presence with folks, making sure that we have the right words to give the people which means that we just need wisdom from Jesus um, to lead well um, to, and to love and shepherd our people well in this season. That, that's what I've been feeling all day long. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. so good. You've been listening to Pastor Derek Puckett of Renewal Church. You can learn more at RenewalChicago.com. That's RenewalChicago.com. Pastor, thank you so much for taking thank the time you. to share with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm, and uh, we're only, we're not even halfway through. We have a really special show today. Again, Brian and I wanted to assume the posture of listeners, of learners, knowledge, and probably increasingly so, realize how much we have to learn, so Today, at least, and hopefully many other days this week, we'll be inviting very special guests to kind of help weigh in and illuminate and encourage and challenge in ways that uh, we, we hope will be really helpful for you, too. Um, before we dive into the first article, though, I'm wondering if Brian Fromm can tell us a little bit about where to find the show on social media and all that. Yeah, I would love to do that. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. And as Ian just said, the show today is full of just uh, interviews you're going to want to go back and listen to and digest. And so you could do that at our Facebook page, the common good radio show on Twitter and Instagram at common good talk. You can find us online 1160 hope.com and our podcast. You can find our podcast wherever it is. You get podcasts, go ahead and uh, subscribe rate and review. And uh, that does help us. And we are really grateful for all of you who do listen to the podcast. And before we dive into the story, which the headline reads, a flight to space, a fight in the streets, Americans search high and low for hope. I want to really briefly talk to you about Thrivent. So I'm a Thrivent member. You can learn more at Thrivent.com. It's a wonderful Fortune 500 non-for-profit that's been around for like 100 years. Plus, if you're looking for like a career change, though, Thrivent.com slash careers is a good place to look. And you don't even need to have a background in finance. You just got to love coming alongside and helping people out. I, I would encourage you, though, if you're not familiar, check them out because I wish I had learned about them earlier than seven years ago because they have been absolutely game-changing in how not only I manage my money and investments, but like developing a deeper theology of generosity and things that matter to me a lot. So Thriving.com, Thriving.com slash careers, or check them out on Facebook. They have a bunch of free webinars, particularly during this pandemic, to help people navigate this better, and I've been super, super grateful for that. Okay, so here's the article out of Washington Post, and I, I just found this so fascinating. It reads, A Flight to Space a fight in the streets, Americans search high and low for hope. What's going on here? Yeah. He, early on in this article, the Washington Post, there's this paragraph. It says, over the weekend, America watched a billionaire's private company under a $2.6 billion government contract deliver two men into orbit with speed and elegance and then watched its city spasm with anger and chaos. The launch was a triumph of ingenuity and collaboration. The widespread unrest was the product of a systems failure. The recent deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery caused the social fabric 
threaded by generations of racism and frayed by the coronavirus pandemic to catch fire and explode. The SpaceX rocket, meanwhile, took off from Cape Canaveral in a heave of fire and exhaust. After months of quarantine, it was blissful to be on a towel by the water, this person wrote, among smiling and excited humans waiting for the launch. And I love how this article sets up this dichotomy of uh, this celebration of this rocket going back into space. I saw earlier today, they like, they got there at the international space station. Now, like there's like, wow, we could still go to space on the same weekend when there is, uh, uh, you've got all the, uh, with George Floyd's homicide and then the protests and now the looting and, and all of that going against each other happening on the same weekend. I think they use this as going, man, like, like people are just looking for hope right now. I find this to be a really interesting way to set this article up. Well, did you watch the launch? I saw a replay of it. I didn't watch it live, but I did see a, a replay of it. Did you have any sense of like, gosh, this feels, str- I mean, even watching it live, to be honest, I mean, again, I had just watched uh, our friends Keith and Misty get married via Facebook live. <laughs> and then nice. went right from that, which was a celebration to another celebration. And then when I hopped back on Facebook, it was like, oh, that's right. There are cities that are on fire right now and people that are in very real danger. Like it just felt like such an odd juxtaposition. Yeah. And I hadn't really considered the way that this article frames it is like this, people are looking and longing for hope and it's being manifest in a whole lot of different ways. What, you know, what do you make of that, of that, of that disconnect? Or I'm not sure what my question is like are are differing, paths to pursue hope and how different they look does any of that strike you as like like bizarrely juxtaposed it it was uh you know it's it's kind of like whiplash right like how yeah. you just described it going and watching the, it's you know watching uh, their wedding but also watching this rocket blast off it kind of took your mind off of things like oh yeah and then to be brought back into reality i have just found social media to be a really uh helpful tool over the last couple of days to know what's going on, but I leave it every time just completely burdened and like, like sad and just sad. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so, yeah, I, I do get it. And, and the end, the article or second to last paragraph, he says, how might a spell in space change one per, one's perspective on this mess? Uh, 14 years ago, uh, this person they're talking about Higginbotham had a view of the earth from 250 miles up. It wasn't the blue marble view of the Apollo crew, uh, but her vantage point dra- dramatized the thin blue line of earth's atmosphere. Almost nothing separates life from the void, but that almost nothing is everything. And then he goes on to say, we had a mini United nations aboard, aboard the shuttle and the space station. If we could get along and come together for a common good on this tin can of a spacecraft, then how come on earth, where there's so much more space, we can't have that same type of unification and commonality and humanity. It's a great question. Like they've got to be working together. There's there's not even any time for differences, right? They want to survive and and they're able to do it and kind of then taking it back to what we're going through. And uh, it also is just to highlight that people while in pain are just looking for something to hold on to for some hope. I think that's really telling for us. Well, and that's an interesting comment because it in on one hand does sort of diminish or delegitimize like very real strife, like very real systemic sin. Mm-hmm. So for him to say like, well, oh, the three of us are getting along just fine. Why can't we have that on earth? Like when he says there's so much more space as if more space is the issue. I don't know that that's totally fair. 
But the other thing that I find interesting is that, you know, on a space crew like this, you have a common mission. Like there's right. a common aim. There's a, you're like, okay, we, we all do bring our own rich diversities to the table, but we are all aiming at the same target. And that we most certainly, I think, don't have right now or maybe ever have in that, I mean, in that grand kind of existential sense. And I'm, I'm wondering if you, if you find that, because I want to be very careful to not, I mean, again, I know that this is his quote, but like, hey, if we can get along up here, why can't we get along on Earth? Right. It's 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 got to be more than just getting along yep. because like uprooting and unearthing generations of systemic racism or bigotry or hatred or inju- whatever, whatever that is. You can't just kumbaya that out like that's mm-hmm. that's got to take some some real intentionality, maybe maybe even more intense than that. I don't know. What, what do you what do you think to his last paragraph there? Well, it reminds me of the segment we just did with Pastor Derek Puckett, right? When he talked about having an intentional multi-ethnic church, and he talked about how hard that's been and how intentional it requires. Like, you know, uh, as opposed to just, as you put it, kumbayaing our way out of going, hey, you know, it's like the end of Rocky Four, right? If you can get along and I can get along, we can all get along. It's not so simple. And I thought Pastor Derek did a great job of highlighting what makes that really difficult and the intentionality and the time that it takes uh, to do that. Because I think deep down, everybody, not everybody, most people that I know want that, but man, the amount of time and energy and work and probably frustration that takes is not something a lot of us want is my guess. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I've been really grateful and humbled by even this platform to create space. We talked with Derek Puckett, Pastor Derek Puckett of Renewal Church, just a little bit earlier and coming up in the second hour, we're going to be joined by a number of pastors. First will be Watson Jones, the third senior pastor of Compassion Baptist Church right here in Chicago. That's coming up next right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're left. Coming up first this hour, we're going to talk with Pastor Watson Jones, the third senior pastor of Compassion Baptist Church here in Chicago. You're listening to The Common Good. everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, and wherever it is you get your podcast. And I know that for a lot of us, it's been one heck of a weekend, and I know people's brains are all over the map. I've been getting emails and calls, and one of the things that Brian and I have been saying today and a lot of last week was that we just want to assume the posture of listeners. We know that we're pastors and we're radio people, but we feel like this is a real time for us to assume a posture of learning and repenting and grieving. And so we're really, really excited to have a number of just incredible, wonderful guests on the show. And our next guest is no exception, Pastor Watson Jones the third. Welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you. for the, glad, glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Would you just, in whatever fashion you see fit, introduce yourself to our common good audience? Yes. I'm Watson Jones III, and I am uh, the senior pastor of uh, Compassion Baptist Church here on the southeast side of the city. I pastor a church that's 140 years old. It has lived in the South Shore, South Chicago area for, for 100 years old, 140 wow. years. Under three different names, every time we moved, we changed our name. Wow. And so uh, we 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 had a long-standing presence in this community and in very and so uh, I passed in the neighborhood I grew up in, and and it's a joy to 
joy to do it. It's glad to good to be here. Hmm. Well, so we're so grateful for you joining us. Could you just tell uh, our audience what has the last week been like for yourself and for your church? Oh man, it's been it's been pretty rapid fire. Mm-hmm. So much happened in the last week, uh, in the last, especially last five days, where it feels like the death of, of George Floyd was a year ago, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and so you know it's been a it's been a time where it feels sort of like uh, more of the same um, same old same old the kind of things we've always had to deal with, and uh, then you know sort of at the same time why again why now. Hmm. How long will this continue to be? Kind of thing. So right. It's been for many. Um, whereas you know, my mind mostly has not. You know, I've, I've mourned, I've grieved, and it's been. You know, George Floyd is Emmett Till. You know, he is. Hmm. He is Trayvon Martin. Yeah. He is. Can just continue to name the spectrum. Um, you know, for me, it's 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 been trying to help my church understand. That even though we struggle, you know, it's okay to mourn, it's okay to grieve, because, you know, that's what the Psalms do. But at the end of the day, we have to come with a theological vision. It tells us that, it tells us that, um, you know, God is on the side. That's right. And many like him who suffer these sort of indignities. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's been a, um, so that's that's kind of how it's been. It's just been it's been a tough, sad, emotionally charged week. Yeah. So that, and then that, you know, with with the riots and everything happening, you right. know, that's that's been another thing. And so, yeah, it's just been a lot. It's been a busy, 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 busy week for sure. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. It, you've been in the city for a while now. In your mind, has has the city gotten better? Are you? hopeful or are you despondent i mean you're a you're a pastor and a leader and i I imagine having to answer all sorts of emails and phone calls and questions what's sort of your sense in the city of chicago right now well i think two things i think right now especially with what we're seeing in this past two days there's a just a there's a ton of heartbreak in the city um you know i'm sitting right now in front of a grocery store that um you know was was looted and, uh, and, and, and the other stores is part of a larger chain, Jewel Osco. The closest jewel, closest to us on 75th is gone. It's just mm-hmm. burned down or trashed up, gone. Wow. And, you know, the other grocery store in there is just torn up. So, you know, the, these are food deserts and were food deserts already. Mm-hmm. And now it's closed. At least this place may not open for another few, few days, few weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know the number of people I've seen come so far today who wanted to ch- who wanted to um, change who wanted to pass cash checks could not come to cash checks who wanted to refill medication for the senior citizens could not refill medication mm. because the store is shut down. Mm. So I think there's a sense of heartbreak, uh, yeah. and I, I would almost say for some despair. Yeah, some absolutely despair. Mm. Um, anger, all of those things. But I think anger, I think anger may be old, uh, mm. but definitely despair. I just talking to people out here in front of this store. But then there is also a sense, you know, among people here, we're like, this is our neighborhood. Right. And the people who did this to our store 
they're not from our neighborhood. Mm. And we're not going to sit idly by and let them trash our neighborhood. Right. right. So I've been encouraged at the same time to see the number of people who showed up just today, just today from compassion alone, Mm. senior citizens who showed up and swept out a store that they shop in and, and younger people coming and, and, and middle-aged people coming to say, this is our stuff. Mm. We ain't gonna let everybody set us up. That's powerful. Watson, I'm curious as a pastor who's been there for a while, people probably look to you for, uh, for lack of a better word, answers. And so when people come with their despair right now and their anger, what are your messages? What are you saying to people? That's a good question. So, you know, one of the things that, that has blessed us, especially as African-Americans, is, you know, I, I oftentimes talk about how God has been active in, in the lives and the narratives of black people in America in terms of just, you know, we've always been an oppressed people, but, but in terms of the ways in which God has freed us in different ways that is encouraging. So my message, believe it or not, for many. Now, I didn't preach this Sunday. I had another preacher preach, but I do a daily devotional with uh, people all over uh, from compassion and outside of compassion. My message, especially since George Floyd is a con, it's con and this is helpful for me, is the reminder that God always identifies with the suffering. Right. Always. Right. He does not identify with the ones perpetuating the suffering. He does not identify with the ones who don't care about the suffering. He identifies with the suffering. And that's an interesting theological paradox. Not quite paradox, but for me who believes that you become a child of God through faith in Jesus and Christ alone, Hmm. but yet some kind of way still, according to Scripture, God still has a deep care for widow, Hmm. for the one who's who's locked up, who we term criminals, who, 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 uh, uh, Psalm 149, would, would call prisoners. Um, and, and so God is, is always identified with that. And so my hope is to help, help people not lose faith in the Lord by helping them see that God is on our side. But then in addition to that, it has been a call to say, and I said this very thing today, this morning, that this is a time I called it. I borrowed this from a civil rights leader named uh, Otis Moss Jr., uh, he said this in a sermon he preached years ago, where we have to now we have to now go from pathetic grief, prophetic mourning to prophetic grief and prophetic mourning. And what I mean by that, I talked about that in John actually eleven. What I meant, what I meant by that was this: that we understand and we know and we see what we see and we eat and we mourn and we cry out. This is not the time for mourners. And this is not the time for, for fear to lead you. This is the time to be courageous. Mm. And police in Chicago are stretched thin. They're stretched thin. Right. And there are people who are entering our neighborhood that are not from our neighborhood, not even from the city. Mm. One just got arrested today who intended to do harm to the place we were cleaning up. Hmm. and that are causing, that are at least igniting the fumes for riot hmm. and, and ducking out. We're saying, <laughs> prophetically, hmm. we're Christians. I call my church up here. Hmm. We're not going to let you do it. We're just not going to let you do it. Right. And it's, it's just not happening. 
we're not going to let you do this. You're operating under darkness. We ain't going to let you do it because we're children of the light. And so, uh, and so for us, it's been trying to help people to see God is on our side and helping people grapple with the Greg Georges. I mean, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, George uh, Floyd. That's right. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, now that we're, you know, George Floyd is kind of George Floyd and police brutality, which are a real thing um, right now. It's immediate thing is trying to get our communities back under control yeah, right now. That's so good. You're listening and, to and that's a call of vigilance and patience and people paying attention to what they see. That's so good. You're listening to Pastor Watson Jones, the third senior pastor of Compassion Baptist Church in Chicago. He's going to stick around for one more segment with us here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can send us messages there. You can also find us at 1160hope.com slash Good. And wherever it is, you get your podcast. And we're so, so grateful to be joined again by Pastor Watson Jones, the third senior pastor of Compassion Baptist Church in Chicago. Thank you so much for sticking around for a second segment, Pastor. I appreciate that. And the question that I had for you is is one that Brian and I, I know have been grappling with for a while. We're both white pastors out in the suburbs. And sometimes even the attempts to try to learn or better educate ourselves can be met with some resistance or disagree. Sometimes it can feel almost like, and I was just watching an interview with, with Stephen Furtick and he was talking about some of his own difficulty to even know what are the questions that I do ask or how do I learn? And pastor John Gray was kind of giving him some insight and perspective there. What, what would you say to people that are, are legitimately becoming aware of their own ignorance or their own lack of knowledge, but not sure where to go or how to proceed or how to better educate themselves? Like how do you help, someone who is wanting to get better in this, in this discussion, but doesn't, doesn't know how. Yeah, I think, well, first I think uh, what we are seeing is more and more white, especially white Christians sort of coming to the realization that something is awry. Mm. We don't quite know what, but something is awry. Something's not right. That this narrative continues to be perpetuated. And, and I think, I think what is going to have to happen is, there's a number of things. I think first, you know, white Christians have to stop assuming that the things that we as African Americans say we experience we have to stop assuming that we're making this up. Right. It may not be their experience, but it is our experience. Right. They have to stop assuming that we're doing something to warrant certain behaviors from police officers or otherwise, because that's not always true either. Um, that that we really do experience constant indignance from police officers. I'm telling you that as, as reality. Now, I'm standing here with mm. them. They're very great. They're helping us protect this building. But, mm. you know, a police officer cussed me out and called me boy just a year and a half ago, right outside, right around the corner from my church. That never mm. happens to white people, but it happens mm. to us. And so they have to stop assuming it. And and, and, and really become educated about history and not just history um, as we, you know, because schools don't teach us full history. School teaches us sanitized history. But to really understand the narrative of African Americans from a historical perspective by reading people like W.E.B. Mm-hmm. Du Bois, who was the first African American to graduate with a Ph.D. from Harvard. So he's not 
not a runner of the mill. He is <laughs> the number one scholar in his game. Uh, Souls of Black Folk or Black Reconstruction mm. about our history up until that point. Um, I would say even listen to black pastors. It, what I can tell you for sure that I know to be the truth, um, most average, most black pastors would be considered quote unquote evangelical by doctrine in terms of what we believe about Jesus, the Bible, etc. However, we never had a difficulty understanding that faith. We tell folks about Jesus and come to him and know him. We sing about it. We preach it. But at the end of the day, it was never a question of faith for us to say we're going to stand on picket lines. Mm -hmm. We're going to work to get education systems reform because it directly impacted us to say that if we didn't do this, this impacted my children. So I think that many whites have to learn to learn from black leaders and just don't discredit what they say because it, it, it tears into the narrative you can talk Hmm. And so finally, I close with that on this, that Paul says in Philippians 2, have this mind, which is also in Christ Jesus. And and in one sense where Paul, Paul charges Christians to, to really look to not be after their own interests, but look after other interests. Jesus, who, who, uh, he did not see the quality of God, the thing to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself. There is a sense where white brothers and sisters have to grapple with, have to, have to really take the approach to say, you know, I may not know it all. I know my brothers and sisters are going through this and they, they clearly can't be making this up because it keeps happening. Mm. How do I learn to see the world through their eyes? Mm. Mm. Watson, as I'm watching the news, could you help me understand, help all of us understand uh, kind of what's going on and really specifically the difference, uh, and you touched on it before, between the protests and also the kind of the rioting and the looting we're seeing. What, what's the difference right there going on? Massive difference. So the protesters are not the rioters and not the looters. Um, mm. A guy here named Jamal Green, who organized a protest last night, and they re- went through Hyde Park, and they were organized enough to catch the rioters or the looters to catch them and to kick them out of their demonstration. Protesters are simply those ones who are saying, we're not taking police brutality anymore. We're not taking this indignity anymore. We're not taking black people choked out, yelling, I cannot breathe, cameras showing we're not resisting, we're not, we're being subdued and right. still continue to choke until we have no life. Right. You know, we're saying we, we ain't, we're not doing that anymore. That's protest, which is a First Amendment right, by the way. First Amendment right tells us this. Now, this is going to shock you when I tell you this, but this is true. Historically speaking, whenever African-Americans have protested, including in the civil rights, there have always been people who would love to enter those ranks, some of whom are white supremacists who cloak themselves to say that they're with, quote unquote, Black Lives Matter nowadays or the civil rights movement in those days, whose purposes were to uh, to incite confusion, to elicit response from government officials, police, now national guards, to discredit the message of the protesters. I heard that from a civil rights leader who told mm-hmm. me this, who said that in the civil rights movement, there were oftentimes more FBI informants who preached black power than there were wow. people preaching black power, which means that there was always a sense where people worked to undermine that movement. So mm-hmm. there are people who who show up to these things and 
within the name of we trying to march with black folk people or whatever, and they have no intentions on doing that. Their sole purpose is to throw Molotov cocktails, to throw mm-hmm. bricks and rocks, so that the news can spin the narrative and say, well, not spin the narrative, so that the news can say the protesters are rioting. Hmm. I can tell you for a fact that what I'm saying is true. This jewel I'm sitting in front of right now that was looted, just this morning, the police caught a young white man who was not from here, from Hmm. Massachusetts, and in his bag, he had incendiary things to throw in here to try to blow this jewel up while people were in there cleaning. Wow. He's not from here. Airbnb stands somewhere near here, but that happened today. Um, the, the owners of stores in this area said, we saw people come to this jewel last night and come to these stores with no license plate on. And we ain't seen none of these people in our neighborhood before. This is not, this is not the black people tearing up black stuff. Right. This is not protesters pushing for rights for people tearing up stuff. These are people who have no skin in the game, no care for nothing. Some of them are anarchists, absolutely. But some of them are white supremacists that are coming to specifically undermine the message of African-Americans to elicit a response among people in power to say, look at the leaders and look at the rioters. We're justified in what we need to do to them. That's the level of organized hate that we have working. My goodness. Pastor, with like the minute or so that we have left, two, two questions. One, how can people get involved? And two, how, how can we be praying for you guys? Be praying for laws to change. Laws and policies have got to change as it relates to how police grapple with us. Again, not all cops are like that. Hear me say it. I can tell you that beyond that, not all police officers that. Many of them want to help and serve. But then there are some who, who should not be cops. And there needs to be, and there are things in place, but there needs to be accountability towards this. But then also, uh, so that, that's one thing. Pray for laws to change. Pray for strength and courage to grapple with this hate and the ways to get involved, I would say is contact pastors who are, who are, who they're seeing on, on, uh, that they're seeing on social media that are getting involved to say, how can I partner with or Mm. come behind you as you do what you do? Man, Pastor Watson, yeah, absolutely. I, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Please, please know that Brian and I and our churches and our families are praying for you all. And please, please come back on the show sometime. We would love that. Absolutely. Let me know. Thank thanks, you. Thanks so much, man. That is Pastor Watson Jones, the third senior pastor of Compassion Baptist Church in Chicago. You can learn more at cbchicago.org. That's cbchicago.org. Thanks again for joining us on the show today, sir. We appreciate it so much. Thanks. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thanks, man. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter, at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get your podcasts. And all day long, Brian and I have been trying to talk a lot less and just simply listen. We're trying to learn, and we're absolutely thrilled to have Pastor Corey Brooks on the show. He's pastor at New Beginnings Church and executive director of Project Hood. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. I'm glad to be on the show. Man, it's our pleasure. Could you just take a minute or two and introduce yourself to our audience? 
Yeah, my name is Pastor Corey Brooks. I pastor the New Beginnings Church of Chicago on the south side of Chicago. Uh, we also run a non-for-profit called ProjectHood.org. And um, the hood stands for helping others attain destiny. Mm-hmm. And we're focusing on education, economics, social and spiritual ills to get rid of violence and poverty. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, Pastor Brooks, uh, as we've been uh, asking each of our guests today, just uh, could you tell us for yourself personally, for your church, uh, what has the last week been like for you guys? You know, as I said Sunday, this has been a tough week. You know, over 70% of the deaths dealing with COVID-19 in Cook County are African Americans. We have the highest rate of unemployment in the country, Mm. uh, in our community. We're, as people know, we're, we're dealing with uh, a police brutality situation. And as a result of that, uh, people have taken it upon themselves to riot and loot and do criminal acts uh, way beyond their First Amendment rights of, of peaceful protest. Mm. And as a consequence, it's, it's been really difficult for a lot of people. Even today, we find ourselves trying to help people get to the pharmacies to get their medicines. Those who are on fixed incomes, you know, it's the first of the month and they're having difficulty finding places to get their checks because some of them don't have bank accounts or they use currency exchanges mm. and all these places have been looted and, and robbed. And so it's a, it's a tough time dealing with all the issues. We're faced with a myriad of issues and uh, it, it, we're, it's going to be a while before we figure out how to how to turn this around. So I, I'm curious, how are you as a leader now? Because I imagine probably a lot of people are coming to you for answers or at least sometimes maybe when you don't have answers, a response. Like, how are you navigating the demands to have answers when you maybe don't have them? The questions from people who maybe you don't agree with necessarily. Like, what's it like leading in the city of Chicago right now? Well, one, it is causing me to be very much so dependent upon God, yeah. mm-hmm. more so than I ever have been, um, to give me direction and give me guidance and give me wisdom on what to do, what not to do, because there's so many things that are coming at me at once. It's almost like uh, drinking from a fire hose, you know, it's just coming at you mm. and, 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 and from so many different directions and, and everybody is needing need of help. You have business people calling, hey, pastor, can you help us board up our business? You have uh, elderly uh, mothers calling. Uh, I can't get to the drugstore. I need some help with my medicine. You got uh, people calling. Hey, my son got arrested. Can you do something about that? Mm. Then on top of that, you know, you're, you you got people who are needing food because now all the the gross. We already had a food desert, but now the grocery stores have been looted. So it, it's real tough, and um, you really have to depend on God, and and you have to have a good team. I have a great team uh, who is helping to facilitate a lot of issues. And then thirdly, you have to have a, a, a good uh, group of outside people who want to come alongside and assist. And so thankfully, I have a lot of great conservative friends uh, who are outside of our neighborhood and suburban areas who are trying to help us as best they can. Mm-hmm. So all of us working together uh, with all of these things coming at us, uh, hopefully we can get a lot done. Yeah. Uh- could you help us, for those of us who are just seeing things on the news, can you help us um, uh, differentiate for us the difference between the protests that are going on with the uh, with kind of the rioting and the looting? Talk to us about the difference of those two. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I tell people, first of all, you got you got to understand we live in America. And so people have a First Amendment right. And that is to have a peaceable protest. 
and people ought to have a right to do that. Mm-hmm. And I've participated in protests for so many years, and they're always peaceful, uh, full of peace. But when they go beyond that and start looting and rioting, that's when they become criminal acts. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, for the most part, most of the people who have been uh, participating in the protest, they have been very peaceful. Uh, but then there are some agitators that I believe were sent or um, uh, organized to, to cause agitation, to cause disruption, to cause uh, fights and division with police, to tear up buildings and things like that. And I think that agitation was like a cancer and it spread. And, and whereas it was first just downtown with some agitators, now that cancer has spread all out into our communities. And as a result, mm-hmm. We're seeing people not do peaceful protests, but they are actually rioting and looting, fighting the police, destroying buildings, and and it's these are criminal acts, and it's very unfortunate. Yeah, no kidding. It's been such such an unreal week too. And and Pastor Brian and I are both white pastors in the suburbs, and so we've we wanted to really acknowledge. Man, there's so much that we don't understand that we need to learn, and I I feel like I keep hearing the narrative of. Pastors shouldn't be talking about race. That's a political issue. They should just be talking about theology. They should just be talking about the gospel and resurrection and heaven. Like, what would you say to someone who's maybe in that space right now? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you to you guys, you know, for having the courage. Um, because I, I understand, I, I went to Dallas Theological, so I understand the, the, the mindset of uh, evangelicals saying, hey, let's stay out of the politics and let's stay out of the racial issues. Let's just all be loving brothers. I understand that wholeheartedly. Mm. But I also understand that God made us uniquely different, and those differences are, were never meant to divide us, but those differences help, hopefully help us to, to, to love one another even more so right. in, in a Christ-like way. And, you know, in Proverbs chapter uh, uh, 32, where it talks about the virtuous woman, or Proverbs 31, I think, it talks about the virtuous woman, but before you get to the virtuous woman, I think that's in verse 10, there's uh, 10 more verses. And, and those verses, verses 1 through 9, is a message to King Lemuel and his mother telling him in verse 3, hey, stay away from strange women. In verse 4 or 5, she tells him, stay away from strong drink. And then in verse 8 and 9, she says, hey, if you're going to be a good king, a good judge, you got to stand up for the rights of the poor. you got to mm-hmm. judge wisely. you got to speak for those who have no voice. And I think we tend to forget that, that we have been called by God uh, to value people and be the voice of those who have no voice. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think it's what Jesus would do uh, where he, uh, here in this day and time, he would be speaking for the, the poor. He would be speaking for those who are disenfranchised and down and out. And I think we can do that in a loving Christ-like way mm-hmm. that does not have to be political at all. And, and to, to say that, we shouldn't talk about race and we shouldn't talk about being black and white. Uh, we should just talk about being brothers in Christ. You know, I, I, I disagree. Race, uh, race should not divide us. Right. That's for sure. Right. But it's okay that you're white and I'm black. And I think it speaks volumes when you and I can come together in under the banner of Christ and, and use our Christianity and our differences to promote the, lo- to, to pr- promote the love of Christ. Right. 
And I think that's what we need to be doing. That's right. Yeah. Amen to that. And uh, I saw your name come up on Twitter today. That someone was talking about how you you guys are doing extensive cleanup today, and I see it on your Facebook page as well. Can you give us an update? I'm curious, what is that cleanup like? How extensive is it? And what are the needs down kind of in your neighborhood that you guys are cleaning up? Yeah, thank you. We are cleaning up the neighborhood. You know, I decided I'm going to do our, my part in, in people who, who want to come alongside and assist, we would love to have their help. But we are working on cleaning up uh, these areas that have been hit really hard, where there's a lot of looting and where people have just left a lot of garbage and debris and a lot of trash behind in, in, in all of the disruption. And so we've asked people to, to come to our center at 6330 South King Drive. And tomorrow we're going to start all over again. we got a group from the suburbs that's coming at 10 a.m. And we're going to hit some of our tough areas. We're not going to lead people into any violent areas where things are still rioting and, and looting and things like that. But some of these areas um, that have been hit that we can go in and clean up, we're definitely going to do that. And today was remarkable. We cleaned up an area that very much needed it. And um, so so tomorrow we're going to do the same thing. So if people want to come out, uh, just bring uh, your mask and we'll provide some gloves and shovels and brooms and We'll get out there together and we'll clean up in unity and, and show uh, the city and the world what it looks like when brothers and sisters come together to, to do something uh, for a good cause. And so we need the help and we want the help and we uh, are very much appreciative. If people can't come and they want to help us, they can always send resources to uh, projecthood.org, projecthood.org, and, or they can cash app us at uh, Project Hood 1, Project Hood 1, and we'll use those funds uh, to continue to help us get all the things that we need to clean up and, and do the, um, the, the to rebuild this community. I love that. So projecthood.org, your church website also is, right, NBCChicago.tv, is that right? Correct. Absolutely. NBCChicago.tv. I don't know how you managed to get that website. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I know. Hey, NBC keeps trying to buy it from, from us, and I keep telling them, uh, not yet. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's incredible. All right, so we have like a minute or so left. I would love, I'd love to really ask you two questions. One, can you just speak some hope into our communities? People are feeling maybe despondent. They're feeling unrest. They're feeling anger, apathy. And then two, how how can we be praying for you? Wherever we're listening in, whenever we're listening, how how can we all be supporting you guys and praying for you? Thank you. Well, one, I want to say this. As believers, we should not give up hope. Right. We serve a Christ who reigns. And because he reigns, we believe that we too will reign and we will be victorious. And even though it looks dark and it looks grim and it looks bad, it looks like the, the enemy is winning, how this is not true. We are going to come out victorious. Mm-hmm. We just got to fight our way through this. The Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy will come in the morning. And we believe that joy is around the corner. We just got to keep going for it. And there's a time limit on this destruction. There's a time limit on all of this evil that's going on. And when that time is up, uh, the kingdom believers will come forth victorious. And it's us that's going to bring about the change um, that we need to see. And so we're thankful for that. So we want to ask everyone, to pray for us on the south sides and west sides of Chicago, mm-hmm. not just on the south side and west side. I say those areas because we're really impoverished and we've really been hit. Yeah. But all of Chicago needs your prayers and the whole nation, all these cities around the country, uh, these urban centers need great prayer. 
and this is a great opportunity for the body of Christ to really pray and to really witness and hopefully um, be able to see things change around. So we we just solicit everyone's prayer, and we solicit anyone who wants to volunteer and help us. They're more than welcome to contact me and to come on down. I'll make sure you stay safe. Our group will make sure you stay safe, and you can contribute and do something worthwhile to help. Uh, a major cause on the south side of Chicago. My goodness. I love that so much. You've been listening to Pastor Corey Brooks, pastor at New Beginnings Church and executive director of Project Hood. You can learn more about the church at NBCChicago.tv. You can also go to projecthood.org to get involved, and I cannot encourage you enough to do so. Pastor Brooks, thank you so much for taking the time thank to be with you. us today. All right. Thank you, guys. I love you. And if you need me for anything, please give me a call and Keep us in prayer and, and let your churches know that we appreciate their prayers as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and likewise, by the way, the feeling is yep. mutual. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Absolutely. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. And we just wanted to spend just the last couple of minutes together sort of processing everything that we heard today. We, we know that it's just one day, it's just one show, just our little tiny corner of the radio sphere and interwebs. But man, oh man, am I grateful for like the Big C Church, the body of Christ and people who are willing to speak into the realities that we're all kind of facing and grappling with. But to also, I feel like our guests were really kind and gracious with us in our ignorance yeah. and the stuff that we don't know. I'm, I'm curious, did anything in particular stand out to you from today's show? Uh, you know, uh, just what you were saying there, I feel just not only privileged to have had them on, but just kind of honored, like that they took time of their day, both all three of them just extremely busy right now. And every now and then when you and I get to do the show, you just have these days where you're like, I can't believe we just got to do that. Like, that's great. So if you are just tuning in now, get to the podcast, get to yeah. 1160hope.com and listen and no one thing stands out. It was that common thread, I think, from both Derek Puckett and Watson Jones and Corey Brooks of hope. Yeah. Uh, it, they're all in the middle of it. And none of them sugarcoated anything like, oh, everything's fine. No, they all kind of said it's probably worse than you think it is right now. Like, it's bad. But n- uh, none of them did I sense despair. In fact, in all of them, I sensed okay, this is really hard right now and really bad, but not a lack of hope. I don't know if you felt that too. There, there was an honesty to all yeah. three of them. Yeah. Uh, so not a sugarcoating, not a, oh, let me pretend everything's fine. But at the same time, not like uh, despair. And I, I really was strangely just really encouraged by that. Yeah, I, I think that's a good summary too, because both extremes are tendencies that we can be tempted into, right? Either total despondency or just this unrealistic euphoria and they they all they all really anchored it back to their theology too which i thought was really wonderful like i know that was that's just three of many voices who are doing incredible work not only in chicago but worldwide but it made it gave me a sense of like gosh i'm so glad that men, men and women like them are are leading and serving with compassion with humility the reminder too that like everything we're seeing on our facebook feed isn't the whole story necessarily there's complexity and nuance. Oh man. This is just one of the reasons I feel really honored, not, not only to have those conversations, but to have this show. And so we're committed to kind of keep doing that as best we can. We have some other really wonderful guests lined up for the rest of the week and we hope that you'll join us. Plus if there are resources or interviews, things that kind of struck you, uh, I'd encourage you to go to get the podcast, but also on the Facebook page, the common good radio show, we're constantly posting 
articles and blogs and resources to kind of help us together engage with this dialogue more richly. And uh, we're really, really grateful for all of you who are continuing to help further this really, really important conversation. And Brian and I are really, really honored to be a part of it. And we hope you join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. And this has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.